You're listening to the weekly podcast from Solid Ground Church. We hope that this is uplifting and encourages you to take your next step in your relationship with Jesus. If we can be of any help at all, please visit us on the web at solidground.church. Now let's get to this week's message. Hey, so uh, welcome, welcome. Guys, today we are wrapping up this series called In the Beginning as we're working our way through the book of Genesis. So the series ends, but our study of Genesis will not just yet. We're going to be in Genesis up through probably after Easter. I don't know. I, want, I just want to take the time to really get this thing, uh, get as much out of it as we can. But what we've been doing is every week we've been looking at this story as it progresses because Genesis is not just a bunch of little stories. Genesis is one big story. It's the story of the beginning of humanity. It's the story of our, our condition and how we got there. So in week one, we learned really just three big things in the creation story. We learned about who God is, right? That God is the great king of the universe, that he has no rival, that when it comes down to it, God didn't share creation, but he rules over all of it. But he created us, and this is the second thing we learned is that who we are. And so he created us in his image, meaning we were meant to rule in his stead to represent him, that we're basically sort of the, the middle managers of creation. God is the owner. We, we manage what he, he has created on the earth, whether that be the earth itself, whether that be animals, what have you. And then the second week, what we did is we looked at the fall. We looked at how our first parents, Adam and Eve, how they rebelled against God, how they wanted to be the rulers of creation. They wanted to reject his reign. They committed this sort of spiritual and very physical treason against God. And as a result, when they did that, creation broke. And sin entered the equation and death entered the equation. And all these things came in that weren't there originally. The, the world began to come to a condition that it was not created to be because the people that God entrusted it to rejected his lordship over it. And then going forward, we looked at how like that, that sin thing basically was like a, a big snowball, right? So it began to pick up more and more. And so you found there, the, the, the Adam and Eve's first son, Cain, he murders his brother. And then we went forward last week and we looked at the, the flood story, how the earth just becomes consumed with wickedness. And so God, in the story of, of Noah, created this sort of creation reset, right? And tried to start the whole thing over again to show us something that, okay, even though things went back to the way that they were at the beginning, it was not the way that it was at the beginning. And that the very first thing that Noah did was he just repeated the sin of Eden. He went right back into a garden. He partook of some fruit. And he got really hammered, passed out naked in a tent and ashamed. It was, it was a neat story. So anyway... Um, so anyway, what we're going to do today is we're going to look at going forward the sort of pinnacle of human rebellion. This is when, when, when this, this condition and this problem reaches its apex, okay? And everything that we're going to see in Genesis, this is sort of the, the crescendo of the problem. And then everything after that is going to be God beginning to introduce his plan to redeem creation. That's how we're going to look at today. That'll be next week. But we're, just, we're going to see how things get at their absolute worst because we're going to look at a story of a place called the Tower of Babel. Everybody do me a favor. Just look at the person next to you and say, babble. Yeah, just turn around. Go ahead. Babble, 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 Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a fun word. I don't know. And it's really fun to watch a bunch of people say it. I'm just going to put that out there. All right. So, look, if you got a Bible, go ahead and open up Genesis chapter 11. If you don't, we're going to put it on the screen in just a second here. But let's go ahead and let's, let's unpack this story. And I want us to understand what's being said there. Because there's a tremendous sort of background that involves a culture that we don't quite get. And it's really, really powerful when we get to take it into the context that it was written. So, Genesis chapter 11, we're going to start in verse 1. It says this, okay? Now, 
the whole world had one language and a common speech. It continues. As people moved eastward, they found a plain in, uh, let's just say Shinar, why not? And settled there. Next part. They said to each other, come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. And they used the bricks instead of stone and tar for mortar. So, so technology is expanding and they've gone to a place. And here's the big thing to understand, okay? If you remember the commission of, of God to man and woman, do you ever think about how he says, like, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth? Right? This idea of, like, go out, like, spread over the whole earth. We're going to watch is what the people do is they decide, no, we're going to dig in our heels. And they're going to rebel against even that commission. So watch, okay? It continues. Then they said, come, let us build for ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, and see this. This is the key. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. So rather than going forward and deciding to fill the earth at God's command, they decide we're going to stay right where we are. And this big thing here, okay, this idea of where it says, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens. So that, and look at this line here. So that we may make a name for ourselves. And that's the key line of this entire thing. That's the thing that we're going to really begin to understand the context of the Tower of Babel. That basically what you have is you have a group of people. And what they're doing is they're going, not only are we going to not make like God's command happen in our lives. We're going to make a name, not for God, not for the king, but for ourselves. And we find a repeat starting to happen of Eden, whereas it was about the man and the woman rebelling against God and wanting themselves to be lifted to the place of deity and wanting themselves to be lifted to a place of honor and prestige. Now we're seeing as humanity is repeating it Again, now, fun fact for you. If you look at this story and you're like, oh, man, isn't that kind of like a, a myth or what have you? Actually, no, the, the historical evidence is really, really good that this place existed. See, when we, when we come to understand this idea of like making a tower for ourselves, in the ancient Near East, what, what they're talking about there is a thing called a ziggurat. We'll put the word up here so you can see it, all right? Ziggurat, all right? Now, I know that's a weird word. You might hear that and be like, that sounds like a German candy bar. Or maybe somebody else, <laughs> you know, or, or somebody else like, man, that sounds to me like a hipster vape pen. Like, man, you couldn't smoke it? No, dude, I'm using the ziggurat. But anyway, so, but, it, but it's one of those things. Like, this is what a ziggurat is, okay? Basically, in the ancient Near East, like, archaeologists have actually found about 30 of these things in the Mediterranean. Like real time. I mean, like they're all over the place. In fact, like, like we have, we have a picture one. This is what a ziggurat would look like. Okay. We'll bring it through here too. Okay. This is it. Okay. You got this basically like this big sort of almost like a pyramid. And you can't quite see here, but along all the sides here, what you've got are stairs. Because here's the difference between a ziggurat and a pyramid. Pyramids would have rooms in them. They would have chambers and stuff. But ziggurats didn't. They were all solid stone and brick. This is 100% like there's nothing inside this thing. It's not hollow. It was just all going up and up and up and up. And you'll notice how the top is flat here. Here's why. Okay. Because they sort of believed that a ziggurat was a tool to ascend into the divine. So the thought with those people was like, once you're up in the clouds, that's where the gods dwell. And so at the very, very top of this thing, it's almost like a divine helipad. I mean, for lack of a better phrase, okay? And so what they would expect was either a God would come down and touch down on top of it, or they would go up into the heavens. And so what we're beginning to understand with the Tower of Babel is that humanity is trying to elevate themselves to the position of God again. In fact, fun fact for you. So uh, one, one of, you sort of understand like the, the precedence for this, one of the ancient ziggurats that they discovered uh, in ancient Babylon, which is probably actually the Tower of Babel, that's where this story takes place geographically. Okay, it was a place called the Temple of the Foundation of Heaven and Earth. That this was the idea, okay, like we will build a place that links the heavens and the earth. And that's what ha- what's happening in this story. That, okay, what they're basically saying is, okay, we are going to take on for ourselves the role 
of God. It's the apex of human rebellion. They've all united as a people to try and overthrow the reign of God. But here's the crazy part. God's going to show up in a way that most of us wouldn't expect him to in this story. See, here, here's the deal, okay? With the cigarette, what you were, I keep saying it, so you're still chuckling. <laughs> cigarette. So I'm like, okay, what's happening is like you would expect if you're a pagan, if you're an idolater, you would, like people would try and meet with, with heathen gods, right? Like you would expect, like if they're worshiping, like maybe some, like something that would happen would be demonic or nothing at all, right? So they're trying to encounter or raise themselves up to a position outside of the reign of God. But what we're going to see God do is show up in a time that we wouldn't expect him to. So look at this, okay? So you got the top of the ziggurat, and then going forward in Genesis 11, um, we'll go next first. But the Lord came down. So let's pause right there for a second. Okay, so, so now we're seeing the image. Okay, if the top of it is, is this, this basically like spiritual helipad where you expect to go up or come down, you wouldn't expect God to be involved with this because of how wrong the people are. But he does something that they're not expecting. God himself comes down onto the, the top of it. Now here's why this is a big deal. Okay, Because one of the things that we find in Scripture is that every now and then, God shows up in situations where you really, really wouldn't expect him to. I'll give you some examples. Okay, so for instance, um, you, you may remember if, you, if you've read the Christmas story, right? In, in Matthew, it talks about the Magi, right? The, the foreign kings who come in and how they're, they're, they've been reading the stars. And because of the stars, they're able to say, right, like, the, the king of the Jews is to be born at such and such time, right? You know the story, right? Well, just think about this. They're astrologers. That's what they're doing. Like they, 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 are, they are having a practice that is, that is forbade to followers of God. They're, having, like they're, they're, they're trying to divine something that isn't meant for people. And yet God shows up in the midst of that. And it's not that he does that every time. Like don't practice astrology. That's not the point. It's that God intervenes in this situation and uses where they are to, to speak to them and show them. And we find that again here. Like, like they're trying to elevate themselves. But instead, what we find is God coming. Yeah, I mean, there's so many examples of this in Scripture. Like another one, uh, think about the Exodus story, right? When, when you're going in and the Israelites are facing the Amalekites and the Amalekites call on this, this prophet named Balaam. You know the story, right? With Balaam and the donkey that talks. And it's kind of neat, okay? So Balaam, just so that you know, Balaam was a known figure in the ancient Near East. He was, he was, he was an old sort of repu- like reputable hero. But here's the thing. He was a pagan. And so when you find Balaam showing up in the Exodus story, what you find is like, like what the original hearers would have heard was, wow, really Balaam? And then God speaks to him and he, and he stops Balaam from cursing people. Like it's this weird story where you wouldn't expect God to show up. Another one, okay, like when Saul, you know, consults the witch of Endor, right? And he's trying to like conjure up the dead soul of Samuel to get a, like, to get Samuel to say something to him when he's in this like chaos of battle. You would, like, it's this like, again, forbade practice. We're not to try and contact the dead. But what happens? Samuel's spirit comes in. We're not sure how, but he does. And he prophesies to Saul his impending death. Like, it's these things where God, every now and then, again, it's not that we, we make a practice of doing this type of rebellious behavior, but every now and then God shows up into that moment and intervenes and speaks in a way that no one is anticipating. And that's what we see here in the Genesis story. The Lord came down. So he, he comes down on top of, of the, the top of the ziggurat and said to the city and, and to the tower, the, the people were building. Next verse. The Lord said, well, look, if as one people are speaking the same language, they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. So basically, he's going to listen. If, if they're all united in one language to rebel against me, 
nothing will stop that from happening. That, that, that their culture and the tide of their thought will continually influence that. Let's understand that what God's saying here is not him being petty. It's not him being insecure. Like, wow, people are really impressed. And if, and if I don't divide them, like, oh my gosh, they're going to get me. That's not it. That's not it. And we know that's not it because the precedent in Genesis over and over and over again is that God has no rival. I mean, for, for goodness sakes, the story right before this is the flood where God just in a moment snaps his fingers and the entire earth fills with water and he obliterates everybody. No, he's not intimidated by people. What he's talking about is the heart of humanity. That if, okay, if, if what they can do, if they're united as a people, is rebel against me, I've got to intervene with this. And so here's what he says, okay? Next part. So he says, come, let us, Trinitarian, plural, okay? Let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there over all the earth, and they stopped building the city. That is why it was called Babel, because the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there, the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. So that's why, okay, everything divides right here. And I want to just take a moment here, because for some of us, we don't quite get how grievous a sin this is. All right, like this idea of, okay, like let us make a name for ourselves. Let us elevate ourselves. For many of us, like we're like, okay, that's not the greatest thing in the world, but like it's not, is it really like that big of a deal? I mean, for, for goodness sakes. And the, the reason that we have a problem with this is that, is that because just sort of culturally speaking, as Americans, we are very proud people. I mean, more, and, and it's a value that's, that's instilled in us. I mean, think about sort of the, the way that we're taught to, to, to grow as people. We're taught to, to become self-sufficient, right? Like this idea of, okay, like build a, a stability for yourself. Make a name for yourself. Maybe you've heard it this way or you were told it's okay. Like make your mark. That's the thought, right? Like just sort of impact the world. Make the world different because you're here. Elevate yourself. Work so hard that the right velvet ropes will part and you can come through and reach the place of honor, reach the place of prestige reach the place of self elevation because pride is one of those things that we never have a problem with problem with when it's in us right i mean like if it's in somebody else like oh man so 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 arrogant but for for whatever reason like when when it's in us we have a hard time spotting it and usually what we can do is justify it because here's the thing we, and at the end of the day, we want to be the kings and queens of our own lives. Why do so many of us, okay, like we, we get what the Bible says about things, but, we, but yet there's something in us that'll be like, but I think I'll be okay this time. Right? Or we're like, okay, I know the Bible says this, but I just believe, and you know, I just want to do this, and things are working out this way for me. So this is, but what is it? That, that's just sort of trying to take back the lordship of God for ourselves. It's, this, it's the same thing as Babel. It's this apex of human rebellion and it's so contrary to the will and work of god like for us like when it, when it comes to sins i would say we really minimize the, the sort of top three that i find among christians that, that everybody might go yeah that's there but so what would, would be gossip right like like treading another human being but we'll sometimes guise it as a prayer request and we just sort of turn a blind eye to it another one would be lying like we'll say things like oh it's just a little white lie like what's the harm you know even though revelation says god damns all liars we don't, we don't think about that um and this one, pride, pride, and maybe greed, but but 
probably we sort of minimize it and don't think about how severe and how toxic to the soul is. So going forward, I want us to understand what the scripture actually says about this type of pride. This, this let us make a name for ourselves. Let's understand that it's a, it's a repeat of the garden. Look at again, Genesis three, five from the fall narrative it says this for God. This is the temptation of Satan to, to Adam and Eve for God knows that when you eat from it, talking about the fruit, your eyes will be open and you will be like God. And that's what so many of us want. We want to be in control of our lives. We want to be the Lord's. We want to be the ones whose name is lifted up. But let's see what the word says about this. Okay, so for instance, James 4, James 4, 6, it says this. It says, God opposes the proud. but shows favor to the humble. God, listen to this word, opposes. Hey, has it occurred to you that when you harbor pride, when you harbor this, like, make a name for myself, make it about me, let me be glorified, let me impress, let me show you my credentials, let me show you how great I am. Do you understand that you're actually against God, that God himself is working against you when you're proud? That you're actually making an enemy of God. That's, that's a big deal. That should cause us to, like, to check all of our motives and be like, okay, is it really about me or is it about God? Because if it's about me, I don't want to go against him. I want to elevate his name, not mine. So look at this word. Okay? Like God actually opposes the proud. But he shows favor. He shows grace to the humble. Look, another one. Psalm 5.5, 5, okay? The arrogant, David says to God, the arrogant cannot stand in your presence. That when we're looking at the, like the holy throne of God and we're looking at the justice of God, David actually goes, all right, listen, if you're arrogant, you are so against the will of God that, that they can't even stand in his presence, that God will obliterate them, that God will get rid of them. Have we ever thought about pride in this extreme of a degree? Probably not. And yet, how about this one, okay? Think about this. And then when it comes down to the fall of our spiritual enemy, Satan, you ever read what God says to Satan about like why he cast him out? Look at this, Isaiah 14, 13. All right. You said, speaking to Lucifer, you said in your heart, I will ascend to the heavens. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. That sounds a lot like Babel to me. That Satan goes, like, I'm going to be elevated. I want to be praised. I want to be lifted up. And God goes, there's only one who is worthy of that. The true king. And no one else. So let's not play around with this. Let's not mess with this. Let's understand that, that where God wants us to be as a people and like and literally as a species is that we lift up his name, not ours. You know, the, the single largest church in the world, just fun fact for you, single largest church in the world is in South Korea. It's a place called Yoido Full Gospel Church. This church has 830,000 people that show up every week. It's crazy, right? Yeah, they bought a mountain. They call it Prayer Mountain. People can go there and just like, seek the Lord. It's crazy. But anyway, um, but anyway, they have they have when, when it comes to how they do things there, they, they have what they call sort of their three guiding principles, the three things that they emphasize. They, they would say it like this: that it's basically the three legs of the stool that their church sits on. And here's the three things that they say like make them them and what they they strive for. Number one, prayer. That makes sense, right? I mean, like seek the Lord. That's a good thing to do because it's about Him. Second thing, small groups. They believe you're not like that. You can't do life alone. That you you can't grow on your own. And the, and the best place to experience transformation is in a group. But there's a third one, and I think it's really remarkable. And it'd be so good for us to internalize. They have a phrase. They say, "Touch not the glory." Touch not the glory. Meaning, at the end of the day, the only one who is praised is God. 
At the end of the day, the only one whose name is lifted up is Jesus. And we're not going to, oh man, look at David Cho, our founding. No, 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 no. Like the, the, the only one that we elevate here, the only one that we seek to honor is God. Why? Because at the core of it, they understand that how toxic and evil pride is. That it's all about God. It's not about us. There's a great story I love in the book of 2 Chronicles about a king named Asa. Now, Asa lives in a time where, where you know, the people of, of, uh, of Israel, it's, it's split into two nations. There's the, the kingdom of Israel. There's the kingdom of, of Judah. Asa is a king of Judah. And, and uh, he, he comes and he's basically a reformer of religion. He starts to get out idols. He starts to get out from among the people, all these bad practices, and start to turn the people back to God. And while he's doing that, they go into war. Like other nations come in, they attack them. And they reach this moment where they're just incredibly outmanned. And they know, like, we are going to die unless the Lord intervenes. And so Asa, he takes the people and they just cry out to the Lord. Like, Lord, please, we need you to save us. We can't do it. Like, we, we are nowhere without you. Which is, by the way, a good condition for our hearts. Like, God, we can't do anything without you. And so they're just crying out, Lord, please save us. And he does. And talks about, like, it's how God, like, intervenes and slays their enemy. He, like, he strikes them down. But later on... Asa's heart gets calloused and he becomes comfortable. He becomes relaxed. Like he, he's not struggling anymore. And so he comes to this place in his kingdom where he's like, he's like, man, I am a good king. Like things are going really, really well. And he begins to place his confidence, not in God, but in the political alliances that he's made and the army that he has. And here, and here's, so God sends a prophet to him. And here's what happens with that. Okay. Second Chronicles uh, 16, starting verse seven. At that time, Hanani, the seer, came to Asa, king of Judah, and said to him, Because you have relied on the king of Aram and not on the Lord your God, the army of the king of Aram has escaped from your hand. He continues. Were not the Cushites and Libyans a mighty army? Those are the people who attacked him before. A mighty army with great numbers of chariots and horsemen. Yet when you relied on the Lord, he delivered them into your hand. For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. You have done a foolish thing. And from now on, you will be at war. And Asa's life is turmoil the rest of his life. He becomes sick and he won't seek the Lord for his healing. Like, I mean, it's just, it's just really, really messed up phrase but this is like this sort of he rests in this point of look how good i am and god goes no 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 no. rely on me it's, it's not about you rely on me and for how many of us like what we want to do like even in the way that we pray we pray in such a way that what we want god to do is allow us to be self-sufficient Right, so like when we encounter chaos, when we encounter problems, when we encounter all this like difficulty, what we want God to do is just relieve the tension. We want him to relieve the problems so that we can just continue on in life and live in such a way that we're comfortable. And it's not about seeking the Lord at all. It's about us sort of receiving this, this quiet life. And it's here that I need you just to understand something, okay? Okay, it's that God, and I'm going to put this on the screen here. Take this, write this down if you're taking notes. God is not interested in getting you to a place in life where you don't need him. 
Okay, can I just say that again? God is not interested in getting you to a place in life where you don't need him. If you're in this thought of, okay, like, I'll just work so hard and then I'll pray because if I do that, God will show up and everything will be quiet. He's not about that. And what you'll find, like, just like we see with Babel, is when you start to, you know, go down that course of pride and you start to work towards self-sufficiency and elevate yourself, God has this habit of absolutely breaking you. Like, if you're going to seek Jesus, you should just know that if you harbor pride in your heart, it's not going to go well for you. And he loves you enough to wreck you. He really, really does. And let's just understand, okay, like, that this life is not about, let me build on how good of faith that I am. And it's not about the sort of idea of, of moral adjustment. I'll just, I'll just work all this stuff in my behavior so that God will accept me and I'll feel so good about what a great Christian man or woman that I am. No, no. Your life is about seeking Jesus. Your life is about knowing Him and submitting to the Lordship of Christ. And when you step outside of that, you're going against the nature of God and He will bring you down baby that's what we find here in Babel that's why it's such a big deal because they're rejecting the reign of God and making it 100% about them but fun fact so God (laughs) divides our species he introduces languages but you know what he didn't leave it that way you flash forward thousands of years to the New Testament You find him sending his son, Jesus, to die for your sins and mine, to make us right with him. And then he doesn't leave us alone, right? For every person who calls in the name of Christ, he fills us with his spirit, the Holy Spirit, to make us more like him, to change us, transform us. You know, one of the things it tells us about when the Holy Spirit showed up the very first Pentecost, like when the Holy Spirit comes and fills believers for the first time, you might remember this, he reunifies language. Remember that? Like they, they begin to speak in other tongues or other languages as the Spirit gave them utterance. And here's what people say in Acts 2 6. Look at this. Okay. When they heard the sound, there's people outside of, people, of the place where the people who were filled with the Holy Spirit were meeting. A crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. God at Pentecost, in the birth of the church, undoes the Tower of Babel. Because you have a group of people who are not making it about them anymore. They turn right back to him. He reconciles us back to him. Because here's the funny thing about being filled with the Holy Spirit. There is no way as as you're walking in the power of the Spirit, as you're walking with him, there's no way you can make it about you. Because, I mean, he just does stuff that is so outside of anything you could possibly do. And that's the great thing about the, the church being filled with the Holy Spirit of Christ and being the hands and feet of Jesus. Only once glorified, and that's Jesus. Well, as we experience the power and movement of the Holy Spirit as a church, this is my prayer. Okay, that it wouldn't be about any sort of personality on the stage. No, it would be about like what God is doing through us. And I get to see this, man. I'll give you an example. Like we saw a really cool thing happen in the life of our church that only God can do and only God can get the glory. A couple of weeks ago, um, we saw something really neat happen involving uh, Gail Reese. Gail, can you, can you raise your hand? She's right here. She's in the service. Okay, everybody, that's Gail. She's a real person that I'm talking about, okay? So look. All right. So Gail, for, for about 30 years, has had a condition in her blood called ITP. And basically what that does is it makes her platelets low, which makes her, her susceptible, like, like less clotting. She could bleed in the, the brain. I mean, it's this really, really scary thing. And she's struggled with that. She's been on medicine for it for a really, really long time. And recently, uh, and she has prayed and asked God for healing so many times. But recently, recently, she was in group 
and, they, and, they were, and Alan and Gail, they were about to go out of town. And so she just asked for prayer, like, guys, would you please pray for me um, before we go? And so the, the group circled around her, the, the, and, and they're a community group, and they, and they lay hands on her, and they pray. And so Gail later goes to her, her doctor and, and um, gets a blood test. And the doctor comes in, and she's like, what did you do? And Gail's like, Gail's like, what do you mean? She's like, like, your levels, like your platelets are normal. And, and like, like, the, like the highest they had been in 30 years. All right. And so Gail just tells her exactly what happened. And, and the doctor goes, okay, well, I don't believe that. So is it okay if we do another test? <laughs> and, and Gail's like, yeah, as long as it's today, because I don't want to come back. So, so, so they, they take her blood again. And in that little bit of time, her platelets went up by another 10,000. <laughs> yeah, we can praise the Lord on that. Yeah. And then, then it gets better. Okay. It gets better because her husband, Alan, goes to their primary care physician later just to get a checkup. And her, and his physician comes in with Gail's chart. And it's like, what happened here? Because words started traveling. Okay. And he goes, well, look, here's what happened. Right. Because this is the thing. In that moment, who gets the glory? Jesus. Well, you think that happened because the group prayed so well? No. They're human beings. But, but the Holy Spirit of God, who lives in you, who lives in me, who moves among us, it's all about him. And you walk, it's in those moments, you, you can't take any glory for yourself. It's all about the work of the Lord, because all of this is his. It's all by him. It's all through him. It's all for him. And that is why we live that is how we live. That is what we emphasize. We don't harbor pride in our hearts. We lift up one name, the name of Jesus. So let's pray. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you that you are so worthy of praise. We thank you. You are so worthy of honor. We thank you because, Lord, it is all about you. You have shown us such grace, mercy, and compassion. You have intervened in times that we have certainly not deserved it. And you have done it again. Lord, we celebrate your miracle of healing in our sister Gail. Lord, we, we celebrate what you're doing in the life of our church. Father, I ask you now, please move through this place. Any place where there's pride in our hearts, any place where within us we want to harbor this desire for celebrity fame or to elevate ourselves would you kill it because it's about you it's not about us lord jesus we submit to you only you can die for our sins only you can rise from the dead you are worth living for and so in this moment lord we ask you please realign us to that realign us to your lordship realign us to your kingship lord for the one here today who doesn't even know where to begin doesn't even know what to do who says i want to know that god who is alive lord would you meet them in this moment let as they, as they believe that you died for their sin and rose from the dead, would you bring them into life today? Father, we love you. We praise you. We celebrate you and only you. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray. And all God's people said, amen. God bless you guys. We'll see you all next week.